Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Whether you're speaking morally or politically, it is just wrong to say that pro-life states are making a mistake in passing pro-life legislation. And I worry that Trump is giving aid to people who are politically averse to doing the right thing on abortion law. There are people who are absolutely sure that there are no absolutes. And the statement that there are no absolutes is an absolute statement. So that statement violates the law of non-contradiction and can therefore not be true. The woke are not having their own children. My friends on the left have zero to two kids. My friends on the right have two to 12 kids. And so they're not making their own kids. So I think that their hope is to take ours and raise ours and indoctrinate ours. Salvation is forgiveness. Salvation is new life in Christ, not affirmation of our desires. God didn't give the gospel to affirm us. He gave the gospel to save us. This is Brian from Dallas. Texas dove hunters love issues, etc. in the field. Adios, palomas. The church is remembering Old Testament prophet Jonah on September 22nd. It's a short story. It's a fast-paced story. And God is constantly intervening in Jonah's journey away and then back to where God had called him. He sends a storm, a fish, the plant to shade Jonah, a worm to destroy the plant, and an east wind. What is God doing and what is he teaching in the book of Jonah? And why do so many regard it as a mythical tale rather than a story of a real prophet? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be talking about the Old Testament prophet Jonah. Dr. John Brug will join us to discuss him. Then we'll be going through listener email on the Issues Etc. comment line. And finally, talking with Katie Faust. She's a director of Children's Rights Organization, Them Before Us, also co-author of a new book, Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City will talk about helping children resist progressive indoctrination. Dr. John Brug is Professor Emeritus at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. He's general editor and Old Testament editor of the new Evangelical Heritage version of the Bible. Dr. Brug, welcome to Issues Etc. Glad to be here. Why is the story of Jonah in the Old Testament? I think the main reason is to remind Israel and us that the gospel's for all people, even the ones we hate and the ones we fear. It's not so much a story about the man Jonah, but it's one chapter in the story of God's love. Do we know who wrote the book of Jonah? No, but I think it was Jonah. And I think after he had come to his senses, this provides some evidence that he had repented because he's willing to have his story told, so we learn from it, even though it's kind of embarrassing to him. When did Jonah live and carry out his prophetic mission? Well, look, that's actually a pretty important thing. He, he did it about 790 B.C., 
because we know it was the reign of Jeroboam II. And that's kind of important because the historical setting really helps us understand his story much more. This happened about 50 years after Assyria made an unsuccessful attempt to take over Israel in 853, when they were defeated by Ahab and the Syrians. And 30 years, or maybe as much as 50 years after Jonah, that was when Assyria came and destroyed Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. So Israel was strong at the time, Assyria was weak, and Jonah was going to keep it that way. What other historical context do we need to rightly understand Jonah's story? I think that's the main thing, that the time frame, it's between the first Assyrian threat and the second Assyrian threat. Many skeptical scholars have asserted that Jonah is not an historical account. How do you respond to that? Well, I'd say, why don't you believe it? And I think they'd maybe say the great fish. And if I believe it's historical, I have to believe God does miracles in the world. But I think the really big miracle is that the Ninevites believe Jonah. That's the big miracle. They can't believe God's word could take these hardened heathen people and that they would bend before his word. And we, of course, know Jesus said it was historical. We have historical information about it. Also in Second Kings, it's a presupposition of unbelief is really the problem. The book opens with God's call to Jonah with two references to the presence of the Lord. Quote, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and then a little later to go with them, that is the sailors, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, I think it's giving us the heads up. Jonah apparently is dumb enough to think that he can run away from God just by going to the other end of the Mediterranean. But he has to learn, even in hell, Satan can't escape the presence of God, can he? That's an utter impossibility. Later on, Israel would have to learn, even in exile, we're not away from God. There it's a comfort. So that's the main thing, I think. You say that ironies abound in the book of Jonah. What do you mean? Well, I think the big irony, it's a lot of little ones, but it's one big one, Jonah certainly doesn't come out looking very good. Who looks better than Jonah? Well, the storm, the great fish, the sailors, the Ninevites, the hot wind, the plant that grows up. All of them do the job God gave them to do. In fact, the only one that really didn't was Jonah. What other ironies are found in the book of Jonah? That's probably the main one, but I think the other ones are the the Ninevites' belief, and then the character of Jonah is ironic in the sense that he could be so hardened, and yet he was willing to be thrown overboard to save the sailors. People are strange, inconsistent. Several times God intervenes in the story. You had mentioned He sends the storm, he sends the fish, it says he prepared the fish in the storm, the plant, the worm, and the east wind. What is all of that about? Well, I think it really shows, like the book of Esther, where so many things happen that seem to be coincidence. Nothing is outside of God's control, the smallest details. I think the main one that 
we maybe don't really think of, but that's the one that's really striking. They kind of drew lots to see who to throw overboard. And it wasn't just bad luck that Jonah's lot came up. It was God controls the lots, too, as Scripture says elsewhere. What should we make of Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish? Well, that's really an interesting question, because this is another thing that people say, oh, this book can't be real. What does it sound like when you listen to that prayer? It sounds like the prayer of somebody who has already been rescued. I guess if I was in the belly of a fish, I might not think I'd been rescued. But I think it shows that Jonah knew and understood that God had already rescued him. If God intended to kill him, he'd already be laying on the bottom of the ocean, wouldn't he? But he realizes God has already begun my delivery, and I'm going to be confident that he's going to finish the job. How do we account for Nineveh's response to Jonah's preaching, their almost immediate, full-throated repentance? Well, fear is a powerful motivator, but I think the real thing is, that's why I said this is maybe the biggest miracle, the Word of God is powerful. Now, I don't think they had any long-lasting faith. They go back to their ways. But we find kings like Ahab and Herod and so on being impressed by the power of the word. And even though they didn't permanently change, they really were compelled by the power, as much of a lie as anything, but I think they understood that God is powerful. But I don't think anything Jonah said, I'm not sure he was a really amazing speaker, but that Jonah was simply the messenger, and it was the power of God's word. Talk about the king of Nineveh's decree. Well, again, I think he realized even his natural motivation is you've got to kind of appease the gods, and so he was ready to do it. There's some things about it that strike people as strange, dressing up the animals and stuff like that. But they did generally decorate sacrificial victims, whether for good or for bad. And so I think he's realizing he has to do something to appease the God probably wasn't very strange to his psychology. And so it seems that he may have been pressured by the people, perhaps. Why is Jonah displeased with Nineveh's repentance? Well, he knows the Assyrians have come to try to get them once. He thinks it's likely they'll come again. And Jonah was not afraid he was going to fail at Nineveh. He was afraid the gospel was so powerful that he would succeed. He really condemns himself, doesn't he, when he says, he goes back to the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, that God is merciful, gracious, and so on. The words given to Moses after the golden calf. And he is afraid, God is just the kind of God, would you believe it? He'd actually forgive and let off the Ninevites. Yeah, the gospel's for us, and when we do bad, we should be forgiven. But I don't really think the gospel's for my enemies and for those I fear. Jonah leaves the city, and he sits down to watch what would happen to the city. Is Jonah still hoping that God would pour out his wrath? Yeah, I think everything about his reaction says that. 
He says, well, they've repented, but I'm hoping they're going to relapse. What is the Lord's point when he says to Jonah, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night, and should I not pity Nineveh? Well, I think he's reminding Jonah one of several times when he does that, that Jonah, you're so self-centered, you care more about a plant than you care about the Ninevites. And even worse than that, I think he's saying, Jonah, you think you're the center of the universe and everything revolves around you. I care for plants, I care for animals, I care for heathen sailors, and you care about nobody except yourself, not even plants. Dr. John Berg is our guest. We're talking about Old Testament prophet Jonah. The church remembers him on the 22nd of September. When we come back, Jonah, the book seems to end very abruptly. Why is that? Now Jonah starts to pray in the belly of the whale. Lord, Lord, what kind of fish? He repented of his sins like a man in jail. Lord, Lord, what kind of fish? This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventure in Acts with Eutychus raised from the dead, Paul to the Ephesian elders, parts one and two, Paul lands at Tyre, and Paul makes his way to Jerusalem. Da-da-da-dum. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. LCMS Worship invites you to attend the Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music July 9th through the 12th in 2024 at Concordia University, Nebraska. The theme is Songs of Deliverance, the Psalms, and the Great Congregation. Everything you need to know is at lcms.org slash worship institute, and we're now accepting presenter proposals through September. Go to lcms.org slash worship institute, God's mission right where you are. The radio voice of the Lutheran faith for the 21st century. You're listening to Issues Etc. Pumpkin spice flavored everything is in the air. It's the perfect time of year to curl up with a nice warm beverage using one of Ad Crusom's mugs, featuring your favorite Lutheran symbols, Bible verses, or Christian humor. For example, Jesus' personality type is INRI. St. Paul is the patron saint of the run-on sentence. And of course, chancel culture is practiced here. Visit adcrusom.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is, For Such a Time as This, Discernment, Boldness, and Compassion. Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago, worldviewchicago.org. Ad Crewson provides unique, high-quality products and services like Christian greeting cards, posters, jewelry, art, coffee mugs, baptism and confirmation gifts, church banners, and more. 
Find out what I'm talking about at adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. We're remembering Old Testament prophet Jonah with Dr. John Brugge. He is general editor and Old Testament editor of the new Evangelical Heritage Version of the Bible. Dr. Brugge, Jonah, the book seems to end abruptly. Why is that? Well, we be speculating, of course. I think the reason it does that is so we wonder a little bit, well, did Jonah really repent? What happened to Jonah? Today, of course, we know the story that the Ninevites ultimately returned to their evil ways. But I think the main reason it ends so abruptly, and it's very dramatic the way it ends with the animals, I think it's for us to ask, one, what would I have done if I was Jonah? Do I care for my enemies and love my enemies as Jonah should have? Do I seek the good of my enemies? One thing about the book of Jonah that always sticks in my mind is I think of the book of Jonah when I fly into Chicago at nighttime. And you see that vast, vast expanse of orange lights. And I think every time I've flown into Chicago at night, I thought, a great city unto God. And that's good we think that, but then do we have to ask ourselves, do I really do that? Am I urgent enough about that? Do I have the same urgency toward the great city that God has? So I think it's time for self-reflection. It ends with, in a sense, incompleteness, because for us, the story is just beginning. What is the sign of Jonah that Jesus references in the Gospels, and how is it rightly understood? Well, there might be more than one right way, but I think the main thing and the striking thing about it is that we immediately associate it with As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, Christ was three days and three nights, to use that expression, in the grave. And I think that's important, but some of the accounts in the Gospels don't even bring up that. I think the main point is the difference of attitude between the prophet Jonah and the prophet, of course, more than the prophet, Jesus. Jonah wanted his enemies to be blasted. Jesus rebuked the disciples when they said, Oh, it would be a good idea, wouldn't it, if we would call down fire on the Samaritans? Or on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. So there's a great dramatic contrast between the prophets. But I think Jesus, when he talks about this, he's more concerned about the contrast of Jonah and the people and the Israelites. He talks about the Queen of Sheba. He talks about the Ninevites. And he said they had Jonah or other prophets of God. And Jonah was actually, in some ways, a pretty poor excuse for a prophet. They repented, having the very, I guess we'd say, inadequate Jonah, The word, of course, was not inadequate. The Israelites had the very Son of God from heaven, the one who didn't have the faults and the hatreds and the hang-ups of Jonah. The people of Ninevite repented. The hardened among Israel did not. 
So I think that's really the dramatic conclusion. It's more the contrast between the weak prophet and the perfect prophet. How does the book of Jonah testify to Christ? Well, I think that's the main thing. It doesn't directly tell us about his person, does it? It doesn't say anything about the virgin birth. It doesn't tell us explicitly about his work. But it's how God, through prophets, was preparing the world, and he did it through his perfect prophet, his great prophet. So it's more a reflection on, it's trying to build in us the spirit of Christ, not the spirit of Jonah. You are general editor and Old Testament editor of the Evangelical Heritage version of the Bible. Tell us about that. The Evangelical Heritage version is a relatively new translation of the Bible. It's been out for about five years. It's not a Wisconsin Synod Bible. It's prepared by a committee of volunteers who were Wisconsin Synod and ELS people. And so it's by Lutherans, but it's not for Lutherans, and the translation does not have a Lutheran slant. It aims for balance. And so the Bible Gateway puts us right in the middle of their spectrum, a little bit more toward the faithful to the Hebrew and Greek end. So we're aiming for balance, and one of our main things is readability, especially for people who have English as a second language. And so we have a site called wartburgproject.org, W-A-R-T-B-U-R-G, like where Luther was, wartburgproject, all lowercase, .org. And you can find just about everything you'd want to know about it there, our methods. You'll find over 100 questions about problems in the Bible. You'll find articles, a free library. And so we did this project partly because of the economics of publishing today. I don't want to get into the politics of publishing too much, but as Missouri Synod members, you understand like what happened to the old Concordia Bible based on the NIV study Bible, how it kind of was pressured to drive it out of the market, take it out of the market. We wanted a Bible which we could offer freely to people. We can't just let everybody print it, of course, but we could offer freely to people. We realized it would not be possible to economically produce a Lutheran study Bible with the amount of economics that were involved with the new NIV. At least that was our opinion. And so our main goal was to produce a Lutheran study Bible. And I would like to say it's, it's not a competitor to Concordia's Lutheran study Bible, but they're actually quite complementary because the ESV is a more literal translation. Ours is a little bit more, I will say, for modern readers. And so we encourage people to have both of them. But we hope that this Bible, the Evangelical Heritage Version, Evangelical, it focuses on the Gospel. Heritage, we received it from the past. We cherish it in the present. We want to share it with our children and grandchildren. So we hope that this Bible will contribute to the welfare of the church wherever it is. We do have foreign people. We have non-Lutherans who are interested. And so we hope it will be of interest to your readers also, and they'll maybe go to our site, wartburgproject.org. Take a look at it. Dr. John Brug is Professor Emeritus at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, General Editor and Old Testament Editor 
of the new Evangelical Heritage version of the Bible. Find out more about the Evangelical Heritage Bible on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Dr. Brug, thank you. Okay, I was happy to be here. When we come back, it's listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Then Katie Faust will join us to discuss helping children resist progressive indoctrination. Issues Etc. regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's Phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Sanctifying your exercise routine with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethlehem Lutheran, Altamont, Illinois. Faith Lutheran, Capistrano Beach, California. Holy Cross Lutheran, Albany, Oregon. Emmanuel Lutheran, Osceola, Iowa. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Excelsior Springs, Missouri. Peace Lutheran, St. Louis, Missouri. Resurrection Lutheran, Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. St. John Lutheran, Topeka, Kansas. St. Paul Lutheran, Wildwood, Missouri. And Trinity Lutheran, Waterville, Minnesota. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, We'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal.